This is Vince Russo, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network Wrestling with History and we are worldwide on VOCNation.com as well as whatever app that you use to get this program Apple, Spotify, Google Play Stitcher, whatever you like to download your podcast The Voice of Choice Bruce Word, Killer Ken Resnick We're going all the way through the 1980s, we'll get through some of the 90s and then we'll figure out when we stop this train Ken, how are you doing on this is fine. We're recording on a Tuesday in November. Well, actually a little better because this is the first time in three weeks I we haven't had a snowstorm going here in Minnesota. So at least it was a clear, sunny day, chilly, but roads are dry. So things are looking up from that standpoint. Well, listen, I might... I don't know. I'm looking for a place to move um, because of uh, these uh, the latest round of coronavirus restrictions in Pennsylvania. I'd probably take the snow over not being able to eat with more than four people in my family. So is Minnesota any better when it comes to coronavirus restrictions? Uh, In a word, no, not even close. And we're getting more restrictions uh, put in place tomorrow uh, you know I, I don't know what more they can do uh, they the bars and restaurants here now have to close at, at 10 p.m and my guess my reaction to that was uh, you know with uh, close to a quarter of a million Americans dead from this I, I never realized coronavirus was nocturnal like a bat where evidently it doesn't come out till 10 p.m I don't quite get that one but uh if you're looking for a place to move to get away from uh restrictions minnesota ain't it (laughs) well it's it's uh it did come from bats right maybe that's what they're thinking that came from bats that's why they're they're doing that whole 10 o'clock thing or whatever yeah I, i don't get it and um, you know, the governor here is, you know, 
trying to uh, literally has, has put restrictions, I think, of no more than 10 people uh, in private homes for Thanksgiving, and they're going to try and limit that more where, uh, you know, I, I don't know where we're headed, but it doesn't seem to be a good place. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Listen, I this is uh, in an apolitical fashion. I am I take the disease seriously for sure. And I, I I'm, I've always been one of these people that I don't want to get it. I've seen the worst cases of it. I've uh, I've known somebody personally that that was in the hospital on a ventilator. But that was back in the early part of the disease when they didn't really know how to treat it. And basically, everybody that went into the hospital, they're like, oh, my God, your blood oxygen level is so low. Pop a ventilator in there and there you go. Uh, I think we've learned from that. And that's not what they're doing now. And, you know, sometimes the best case is to just wait it out at home, uh, maybe get some oxygen supplementation, a little bit of steroids. There's there's different things that they can do to treat it. And uh even though I don't want to get it, I'm not as deathly afraid of it as I was back in like March or April. And just as much, Ken, as I've known people that have had it and really suffered, I also had somebody in my family had it just recently and said they didn't even know that they had it. They had to get tested because they were on somebody's contract contact tracing list. They didn't even know they had it. It felt like allergies and uh, it went away in a couple of days and and it was fine. So that is kind of where I stand. I'm, I'm trying not to let it dominate and, and, you know, send me into a tizzy, but I'm being prudent. We wear our masks indoors, but we still see family. And I, I don't feel like it's the government's job to restrict who I have in my house. You know, restaurants are one thing. And I really, uh, there's a line there because I think we're killing small businesses and I, I'm, I'm worried about the future. I don't want it to just be Walmart and Amazon that I can shop from and uh, Outback Steakhouse or McDonald's that I can eat from. But I think there's a line there and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about where this is going. And, and that's, again, apolitically. I don't care about which uh, party you're affiliated with. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it has nothing to do with wrestling, but to me, um, you know, we're almost nine months into this and there still seems to be no rhyme or reason as to who gets it, what their symptoms are. But I've actually known uh, 10 people that contracted it. Uh, one died, hmm. two were pretty seriously ill from it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I do too. Uh, and it's to the point, uh, you know, I, I wear a mask, you know, everywhere I go, but I, I still, you, you run into people, even though it's supposedly mandated that are walking around with no masks. And, and you know, if you make eye contact, they just like glare at you. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, you know, it's yeah. just scary that it's now getting worse in terms of hospitalizations and numbers than it was six months ago. Well, uh, the other thing is, Ken, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just before we lose that train of thought, I did some math and, and I was looking at 
I, I hear all this stuff in the news and it's very easy to find the cases and the deaths on Google. You just type in coronavirus deaths, you can find new cases and you can find deaths. So uh, if you look and you could do it by state or you could do it by the whole country. So if you look, there's been 11.4 million cases of coronavirus since uh, the beginning of this whole pandemic. And in the age bracket that includes, uh, I think it's all ages up to 54 years old, the survival rate is 99.995%. That's up to 54. When you take it to like 74, it goes down. I think it's, it's a shade over 99%. But the other thing I want to say is, and anybody just do this Google test. Go say, say, just Google coronavirus deaths. You do see the cases are skyrocketing, but it, when you switch the thing to deaths, it's remained relatively flat, which is a good thing. It shows that we've progressed on the treatment of the disease. And the people that I knew, at least, that were really sick and, and, and almost died, in, in the case of the people I know, maybe the people that you know, it was really back in the beginning, March, April, May, maybe up to June. But uh, you don't hear as much of that, at least I don't, uh, in the last couple of months. A lot of people getting sick, but not as many people dying. And um, there's treatment options. Is that, are you finding that too? And then we can move on. Uh, in fact, somebody you know I know well uh, was seriously ill and contracted it about three weeks ago, and it had had some underlying conditions and had been, you know, really careful, uh, you know, trying to to avoid it. And uh, you know, I'm kind of one of those that you know agree, you know, 99.9 percent survive, but. I don't think the quarter of a million people that died from it, you know, take a lot of solace in, in that statistic. And, and to me, again, not political, but I look at the fact that we have 4% of the world's population. And we have almost 20% of the deaths and 20% of the cases. So when you go, there's something wrong somewhere. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not like a third world country, but, you know, um, so it's just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm older than you. And, uh, you know, like I said, um, just, you know, more people. And, you know, I look at, at businesses and, and what's going on. And, you know, it's like there's something wrong somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not a doctor, not a medical expert, not a politician, not a bureaucrat. And I, I certainly take it all seriously. And, and please, nobody go on my words. I, uh, the only thing that worries me is, um, and, and I, I don't want to sound like, uh, like, you know, <laughs> never mind. But I, I don't, I, I, I listened to the World Health Organization uh, maybe three weeks ago said lockdowns are not good because what happens is it, uh, there's economic consequences that, cause far more damage than the actual virus. And that's, I guess my point is 99.95% uh, of the people survive. Um, whereas in a lockdown, you could have people that lose their job forever, their company closes, um, just, just bad stuff. But overall, I don't think there's an answer. We won't solve it on this show. This is a wrestling show and we'll uh, transition into wrestling. How about that? There you go. That's why you're the voice of choice. 
Uh, I want to remind everybody, you can follow uh, VOC Nation on Twitter at VOC Nation. Follow this show at Bruce VOC. So I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Work. Uh, Killer Ken doesn't have his own Twitter, so we share mine. You can uh, follow Bruce VOC. You tweet us and, and tweet about the show. We try to read your questions. Got a lot of feedback from the who could who could have uh, taken the Hulk Hogan role in 1984 if Hulk didn't jump from the AWA? We'll read through a few more of those questions. Then I want to kind of move on because we got a ton of feedback there, and, and I'd like to get to as much of it as we can. But we have to cover the rest of the year. Remember, subscribe to VOC Nation Radio Network on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We love Apple because if you rate and review us there, it really helps us. Ken, do you know that, and we're on this new platform now, powered by Megaphone, which was recently acquired by Spotify. So this is where all the big podcasts go, Westwood One and Radio.com. We're up there with all the big guys now. We're not in the private section anymore with Podomatic, where it was easy to be number one. But do you know, Ken, that, you and I, this podcast, number one in the professional wrestling category. That means we beat Bruce Pritchard, we beat Jim Ross, we beat Jim Cornette, all of the other wrestling podcasts in one country of the world. You know where that is? Uh, parts unknown. Nope. They love us in Nigeria, Ken. I got... <laughs> <laughs> I got... I got <laughs> I got an email uh, from somebody there that let us know that we were the number one podcast there. And I, I checked it out. I went to Chartable, which is a place where you can go to find out where your podcasts rank. And, and it's a verified organization. And we were the number one podcast in Nigeria. So take that, Bruce Pritchard. You can't beat us over there in uh in nigeria so thank you to everybody that listens in nigeria uh we know that what 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 were the numbers we had two listeners and bruce had one (laughs) it wasn't bad i mean it it wasn't uh it was in the hundreds not the hundreds of thousands hey you got to take your victories where you get them subscribe well maybe maybe the the nigerian government will make a move to to bring us over and let us do a one live from there once we're allowed to travel again there we go we'll do listen if if you guys there's probably a nigerian prince somewhere that can fund this thing ken and i'll do a live show somewhere in nigeria all you have to do is send us the money but subscribe to all the voc nation programming just subscribe to voc nation radio network on your favorite podcast app rate and review besides ken and i which drops every uh wednesday you have in the room with brady hicks and uh former wcw star the maestro and and their crew on tuesdays lots of great guests kevin sullivan's coming up next week though that's the week of thanksgiving uh on in the room with brady hicks uh shelly martinez a sassy Steffi, independent, lovely independent star, Sassy Steffi. Uh, Stroh does a show on Thursdays as well, West Briscoe. Lots of great VOC Nation programming. We really need you to subscribe because that's how we continue to be rated and we stay on this wonderful platform that we are on. So please do that and support the podcast. And before we get to your questions, we're going to take a quick break. I want you to learn about these people. 
and check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And me and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off the uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Okay, Ken, here we go. We will dive right into the mailbag. I'm just going to go through a few more of the comments from Mel. Uh, it's mostly feedback that we're continuing to pile in from the uh, the heavily listened show in Nigeria and elsewhere on uh, on Hulk Hogan and who could have replaced him. So this is from uh, Help It Burns. I love Sarge's early work out in Seattle and Portland in the early 80s. And of course, Flair was just a force of nature during that decade. But I don't really think either of them could carry the juggernaut as well as Hogan did. I can't shake this feeling both of them had just a little piece missing from their presentation during that time. Personally, I imagine Vince could have gone harder after the Von Erich boys, but with David dialing earlier that year, I don't know. I kind of love this kind of speculation. And uh, again, I can't say it enough. People really seem to love that episode. So if you're listening for the first time, go back and check it out. I think the title is uh, rebook Ken Resnick rebooks 1984 without Hulk Hogan. Ken, uh, the, the big thing I'm pulling away from this is the Von Erichs. So Kerry Von Erich was a, a superstar in the making when he came up in the early 80s. But David Von Erich was even bigger. Did you have much experience with the Von Erich family when you were in the AWA? Uh, none at all. I actually ha- have never met any of the Von Erichs. Um, you know, they were uh, down in Texas. And, you know, in the AWA, it was, you know, very regional uh, territories across the country and uh, WCCW. Uh, I mean, we were obviously aware of it, but it wasn't like they were on television or anything. Uh, you know, in in the Midwest and the internet, you know, hadn't been born yet. So most of the exposure uh, a lot of us had, other than you know wrestlers that you know had been in that territory was really, you know, through the, you know, pro wrestling illustrated in the magazines of the day. So, and, and just based on how, how you knew the Von Erich family, do you think that's an act that would have worked with Vince? I mean, would Vince have maybe been able to use Carrie and, and kept his demons out of the mix? Um, you know, the, the, I, 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 Carrie was certainly tremendous in the ring. Um, the limited and again very small sample size, as far as I was concerned, you know, Carrie didn't have the the over the top type of mic skills that you know uh, a Hogan did or a Flair did. Um, you know, a lot of their great success was, you know, the fact they're, you know, uh, like Greg Gagne, who, who never came close to that success, but, you know, because Fritz ran the territory, a lot of it was how they were booked and, and how they were used coupled with their talents in the ring. All right. 
So uh, thank you very much for the feedback. Help it burns. Let's go. Richard C. Richard says, and he's talking about uh, when we were discussing Sergeant Slaughter as a potential replacement. Richard C. says, even under the scenario mentioned in the brief story, Vince would have never allowed Sergeant Slaughter to continue his G.I. Joe deal, which was one of the reasons why he left the WWF for AWA. At a point in his career that one sports writer summed up, talk about your overnight sensation. Slaughter had been wrestling for 10 years and suddenly he was hotter than Dwight Gooden. Sergeant Slaughter. So that's uh, something to, to think about. Uh, you know, he, he really embraced that G.I. Joe deal and there, uh, there was a deep divide between him and Vince over that. So maybe Slaughter would not have been a great choice because he might not have gotten the fame that that he otherwise did because of the G.I. Joe deal. Vince would have stopped it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think there's two ways of looking at it. From a wrestling standpoint, I think Sarge could have certainly carried it, maybe not to the, you know, umph degrees of success that Hulk Hogan had. On the business standpoint, I agree completely. Vince would have never allowed that. And, you know, that was huge for Sergeant Slaughter, not only from, you know, getting known and his success across the country, but financially. I mean, to to this day, as successful as the G.I. Joe toy line, you know, movie line, cartoon line, Sarge is still the only actual living person to be featured. I mean, you know, there was some G.I. Joe Hasbro toys, uh, you know, G.I. Joe type vehicles that had a Sergeant Slaughter doll come with it. Um, so, you know, from a wrestling standpoint, could he have? I think the answer is yes. Would Vince have allowed him to, you know, do the, the G.I. Joe? Uh, Probably if Vince had gotten a cut of it, whether Sarge would have gone along with that, you know, I I don't know, but you you really have to kind of look at that from, from two angles, financial, you know, GI Joe uh, royalties, everything aside from a talent wrestling standpoint, I think he could have done it financially, whether he would have been able, been willing to give up part of the royalties to Vince, which I'm sure would have been the only way Vince would have considered allowing that to go forth al- along with him being champion is, you know, completely different. Well, it's like, and uh, just kind of translate that, translating that into today, recently there was um, a, uh, a, WWE star that was released from their contract because they Vince uh, put a moratorium on social media accounts so he didn't want any of the uh, the talent to manage their own different types of social media and uh, the uh, I, I know her as Rosita I, I don't kill me on this people out there because I'm not I, I've, I've been uh, Ken and I both have been very outspoken that we're not exactly up on the modern product but uh the former rosita in tna she was recently uh, zelina vega recently released from her contract because she opened up a 
uh, social media account essentially. And, and Vince uh, said no, and, and he made an example out of her. So that is uh, something that they will control your entire life when you're with the WWE. And that's been that age old argument about the independent con contractor status. How can you be an independent contractor when uh, you're, you're signing over your, your whole identity to this company? Yeah, I, 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 I uh, the only thing I, I, I can say is that I think the independent contractor status, they've been able to continue because Vince has really, really, really good lawyers. <laughs> um, to the fact that, you know, they tell you you can't work for anyone else. You know, they tell you where you have to be, what time you have to be there, what you have to do. You know, you can't have any social media presence uh, of your own, but, oh, yeah, you're still an independent contractor. I, I mean, it, it I, you know, not being a, a big union guy, anything like that, but it, it just defies all logic. Yeah. Yep. Let's take one or two more. Greg Dufour. And, and by the way, thanks to uh, 411mania.com and wrestlingheadlines.com. We, we scoop up a lot of feedback from our shows on those websites. So uh, thank you very much for the coverage. We certainly appreciate it. Greg Dufour says, 1984 is my favorite year of WWF, and I've watched just about every piece of footage from 1984. If Vince couldn't get Hulk, he definitely would have gone after Kerry. Uh, Kerry Von Erich, of course. Vince wanted the Von Erichs for a long time. They did a 10-bell salute for David on Championship Wrestling and featured the Von Erichs on the WWF magazine. They never did stuff like that, I guess, for anybody else. Sarge was actually doing better business than anyone in most of 84 due to his feud with, feud with the Iron Sheik. Hogan didn't really have a TV feud in 84, so Sarge and Sheik were the hot thing so a couple things to unpack there another uh, vote for the von erics and uh and then you know big headline is sarge and Sheik did the best business in 84 and again you weren't there ken but from afar was that the big talk or was it you know kind of hulk hogan defending against different people uh in 84 or was it sarge and the Sheik uh carrying the uh the talking points in wwf land uh, Sarge and Sheik did, you know, huge business, you know, no question. And, you know, helped, uh, by, you know, the, the ongoing conflict, you know, with Iraq, but the reality was, you know, Hulk was already, uh, you know, from day one, you know, he was the man. So, you know, most of the conversation, you know, certainly in the AWA, especially because Hulk had left the AWA to, to go to WWF, uh, was first and foremost about, you know, Hulk and how big was he going to get? Sure. Uh, and um, Wheeljack 84, and uh, the, the correct answer is Paul Orndorff. That's the, the line. And I think we talked about that last time. Paul Orndorff certainly had the makeup. I mean, more of a heel to me than a face. Orndorff was, uh, you know, that kind of character like Savage, where even when he was a face, you didn't know if you could always trust him, uh, but certainly could talk on the mic. He had uh, the body that Vince likes. He had the, the tan. Uh, could Paul Orndorff have carried the ball for a little bit if they need it? Um. <clears throat> 
I think so, but as you alluded to, Bruce, um, whoever was going to carry that torch to take WWF national, you know, in my opinion, would have had to have been a babyface. Paul could have pulled it off, but Paul was a much better heel. Paul, Paul was a great heel. And you can turn it around. I agree with you completely. You know, Paul, like Savage, you know, in the back of your mind was, can I really trust this guy? Uh, you know, even in storylines, you know, that was always kind of, you know, in the room, if you will, you know, uh, no pun intended no pun to Brady. Uh, and I think whoever was going to carry that mantle would have needed to have been 100% someone the fans believed in. So, you know, just by storyline, by nature, by look, the fact, as you alluded to, you never quite knew for sure. You you were always waiting for him to turn on somebody. Might have made it a little more difficult. But in terms of, you know, Mike's skills, look, wrestling ability, certainly. And and we'll talk a little bit more about Paul Orndorff when we get into 85 and 86. I want to save some Paul Orndorff stories until we get there. Uh, let's transition into uh, some of the rest of what happened in 84, and then hopefully we can wrap up 84 and start making our way into 85, which really kicked off the uh, the WrestleMania era. But before we do that, we want to take a quick look at the rest of this, our fine BOC Nation programming. Check out In The Room. Every Tuesday night at 9, listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And me and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Sags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You getting ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty sensation is coming at you. And we're back here on Wrestling With History, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick. We drop every Wednesday here on VOC Nation Radio Network. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Play. And Ken, I I have to mention this before we get uh, too much farther into the show, but uh, there is a sale, a Black Friday sale on pro wrestling tees. So if uh, people go to vocnation.com, click the shop button on the left-hand side, they can get their very own Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt for the holidays. 20, I think it's 40% off uh, of, uh, of shirts at Pro Wrestling Tees. Am I right about that? Uh, I think it might be 25% off T-shirts, some items I think are 40, but Up there's 40, you know anything you want in, in pro wrestling tees and certainly any of the Bach Nation T-shirts are at minimum 25% off. Yeah, no coupons needed. So just uh, go to vocnation.com, click on the sh- uh, shop button on the left-hand side, 
and uh, and check out all of the shirts that are available. You got Shelly Martinez. Uh, you got uh, certainly Killer Ken shirt, the VOC Nation shirt. There's uh, all kinds of great stuff on VOC Nation. If you go to pro wrestling, actually, Bruce, not not to interrupt, but. <clears throat> Uh, you know, left-hand side of the Voc Nation website, but when you go to Pro Wrestling Tees, uh, order any of the Voc Nation t-shirts, but when you check out, you have to enter the code BF, as in Black Friday 2020, and that starts November 24th. Um, so, you know, we're promoing it. It, it actually starts... Uh, November 24th, and to get the 25% off of all the t-shirts, when you check out, it'll say, you know, there's a, like in any checkout these days online, you know, enter promo code, and that promo code is uppercase B, as in black, F, uppercase F, as in Friday, Black Friday, BF 2020, and that will get you uh, 25% off. And don't worry, everybody. They take that 25% straight from Ken's commission check. Moving on. <laughs> 1984. Now, we love Pro Wrestling Tees. They, uh, they provide a great platform for, uh, for us and for lots of uh, non-WWE uh, wrestling uh, personalities. So Pro Wrestling Tees does a good job. They certainly get their share. Um, Ken, one of the things that started... Well, I mean, I I'm thinking out loud, if there's 25% off uh, the limited commission I get, that means if someone buys a T-shirt, I'll be able to go out and buy, you know, uh, a pack of gum, I think. Before 10 o'clock at night. Right. (laughs) On February 4th, 1984, the very first Piper's Pit segment aired on WWF Championship (laughs) Wrestling. Paul Orndorff was the first guest, guest challenging the new WWF heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan for the title. Airing that same weekend is another Piper's Pit on WWF All-Star Wrestling. And uh, that is in which uh, Piper read a letter supposedly written by Eddie Gilbert's father criticizing his decision to return to wrestling following his car accident a year earlier. So Piper's Pit started in February, the 4th of February, 1984. Uh, Just in March on the 28th, you had uh, just a month later, you had the most shocking incident on Piper's Pit where he hit Jimmy Snuka over the head with a coconut. And I got to ask you, Ken, because, you know, you were in the WWF during the height of the Piper's Pit era. You were part, famously part of a Piper's Pit with Adrian Adonis and Roddy Piper and uh, some others. So what goes into making a Piper's Pit? And give me a sense on, um, that was like very creative at the time. There wasn't a whole lot of the stuff that was done like uh, what Roddy Piper was doing in the WWF. I mean, uh, a lot of it, you know, obviously if I wasn't involved, I, you know, I, I wasn't part of any of the creative on that. <laughs> but uh, a lot of it was just, you know, what Roddy would come up with. Uh, you know, it was, he was pretty much his own producer. You know, uh, if they were going to run an angle or whatever, they would kind of lay it out. But Roddy would really kind of go out and and just wing it. Uh, and I can only speak specifically to the Piper's Pit. Uh, 
I was on, and I didn't find out until just a few hours before, you know, we were doing interviews and things, and uh, Vince came up and said, oh, you're going to be on Piper's Pit tonight. You're going to be his guest. And I was, you know, first I thought he was ribbing me, and he said, no, he's going to bring you out, talk to you, and then, you know, Adrian's going to come out, and then, you know, you kind of just step back and, and out of the way. And, you know, I was like, okay, uh, great. And, you know, when it came time for Piper's Pit, you know, I, I was right behind the curtain with Roddy, and we really hadn't gone over anything. This was all, you know, going to be Roddy. And he, Roddy just said, you know, I'll start. I'll bring you out right away. And knowing, you know, Roddy was kind of one of those, uh, to a lot of people, he was a baby face, you know, I mean, he was over 110%, but he was also kind of a heel. And it was like, I really had no idea what he was going to do. <clears throat> he went out and right before he went out, I kind of, you know, he said, I'll bring you out. And I think I had kind of a quizzical look on my face. Uh, and just as he was introduced, just before he walked out of the curtain, he looked at me and kind of winked and walked out and, you know, he brought me out and, and put me over as one of, you know, the great announcers. And, uh, uh, he was very, very kind to me. And I, you know, climbing into the ring, I had no idea how it was going to go. So Roddy was very much his own producer, uh, <laughs> and, you know, out outstanding. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, Adrian, you know, came out in, in, in the dress, and, you know, which was a prelude to, of course, him starting uh, the flower shop. And, and Ken, it's such a stark contrast to what happens today, right? Because they would never, ever let a talent come out, probably on any show, AEW included, and just produce their own skit, right? There's always... There's always uh, a producer that and and Vince um, just making sure they know exactly what's going to go. I mean, it's it's produced like a television show. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. You, it, it comes off almost as though they're they're reading a teleprompter. And you know, the difference is, and you know, I've talked about it many times. You and I have talked about it. You know, back then every interview was market specific. But in the sometimes, you know, 75 to 100 interviews I would do with talent during the day, they might say, you know, uh, here's the angle you're going to talk about or, you know, make sure you hit this point or that point. But none of it was rehearsed. And I mean, none of it. You know, sometimes I, I would say to a talent, you got anything special? And they might say, you know what, ask me about this. OK, great. And, and we would do it, uh, you know. Today, uh, I mean, if, if anything, that it, it's almost like they're they're overproduced. Uh, and we've talked about it, and, and I think that's one of the things in, that might be hurting WWF a little bit is because it is so tightly produced that the talent sometimes is preoccupied trying to remember exactly what they're supposed to say. And when you're, you know, when you're trying to remember what to do instead of just doing something, it just loses some of the passion. 
that we would see, you know, in the interviews, you know, all throughout the 80s into the 90s. And I think the fact, Bruce, that a lot of that passion has kind of been removed, there's not really the over-the-top mega stars that, that people can't wait to see. Yeah, it was. Uh, I just did a show with uh, with Brady Hicks and and the Maestro. It was a Tracy Smothers retrospect show. So one of the final interviews that Tracy ever did was here on VOC Nation on In the Room, and we we replayed that. And you can check that out. It's up on on the feed on VOC Nation, whether you get it on the app or on vocnation.com. But you know, Stroh was saying on that show that Tracy was as real as it gets. I mean, he was a genuine guy. And uh, I forget the exact quote that Stroh said, but but he said essentially that the secret sauce in pro wrestling is to have a gimmick that's an extension of yourself. And when you're doing that, it's genuine. It's not acting out a part. It is who you are. And I think that is why those stars of the mid eighties were so over and they became megastars because they were just amped up versions of who they actually were in real life. And you saw that again with Steve Austin in, uh, in the late nineties. Oh, and I go back, uh, when I started in the AWA shortly thereafter, Gene left and went to WWF and some of the best advice I got was don't, try and be anybody other than who you are. You know, you have to do the interviews the way you want. If you try and do it how someone tells you or, you know, try to be Gene, it just won't be believable. And certainly, I mean, that was great advice to me, but I think it also applies to the the talent. If, if you're being pretty much who you are, it's pretty easy to do. If you're trying to be someone else, it's a little more difficult. You know, if, if you're Tom Hanks, it's not a problem. But, you know, for the average wrestler, that makes things a lot more difficult. Yeah, and, and that's what I think the art um, of pro wrestling has been lost because they try to make the so the, the, there's there's a few things going on right in in pro wrestling the the whole lore was you had to talk and you said it the last few weeks as we were talking about Hogan you had to talk him into the building you had to make him want or make him uh, thankful that they they were there by what you did in the ring and and then you had to make them believe, right? And and those are the three things, the three facets of wrestling. And now it's almost like, <laughs> and and please forgive me, uh, I'm not attacking any of the performers. And if you like this, then so be it. It's just not my thing. Uh, now it's more like rehearsed gymnastics with with uh, Hollywood acting mixed mixed in, and and that's what it is. And it's not about being a a wrestler or playing a part that is an extension of yourself and being real. It's about, you know, people that have aspirations in, in acting and they're very good at, at doing stunts. They're professional wrestlers and that's the product today. And that's what it's evolved into. Well, I think the, the biggest difference from, you know, 
my time in the in the 80s and and 90s uh even good friends uh in those days would say you know i got i love watching you on tv it must be great to work with all those guys but i mean i know it's not real is it that that, that there was that lingering doubt in you know the most avid wrestling fans just people that would watch it every once in a while would always be well i saw that that can't be real can it is it there was you know, until Vince essentially killed the, the kayfabe era, there was always that, you know, lingering doubt, uh, you know, and, and I equate it to like, you know, kids of today, you know, they completely, as the holidays are coming up, they absolutely, you know, little believe in Santa Claus. And as they get a little bit older, they realize that, well, Santa Claus isn't real, is he? That, you know, as long as you have that lingering doubt, you know, you might be 98% convinced something isn't real. But if you've got that just 2% doubt, it allows you to still believe in it if you want to. And I think that also contributed to these larger-than-life characters because you allowed yourself in the slightest way to believe in them or to believe in the product. And the, the fact that that's all gone from today you know, I, I, I really think it is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like uh, and I say, when you go to like a, a, a Star Wars movie, well, for that, you know, you know, it's not real. You you know, it's a movie, but you allow yourself for that, you know, two hours or a little over two hours, you become so engrossed in it. You don't think about it not being real. You just enjoying it, watching and and living what you're seeing on the screen but you know you're not going to be able to do that if over and over and over again it's like basically the same thing and it gets to a point where you can go on the internet and learn all about how they made the movie <laughs> uh, like I, I know some people that are absolutely avid Star Wars fans and they say they don't want to know how it's made because they just want to believe it when they're seeing it, when they're in the theater watching it or, you know, putting on the costumes. They, they, they you know, I, I don't need to know how you make the hot dog. I, I don't want to know. I just want to enjoy it at the ballpark back, you know, if we ever get to go to games again. So I think all of that contributes to the 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 product being so different even how the fans embrace it today than how they did back then yeah yeah it's uh i i totally agree it's uh it's it just it doesn't make it as fun 
And I think you're seeing it in the numbers, but people will debate me forever. And by the way, uh, I got into, um, I don't know how I always do it, but I got, I got uh, roasted by some Dave Meltzer, Dave Meltzer fans. I was just merely pointing out that in, in a recent episode of Shelly Martinez's show, she compared Dave to uh, Perez Hilton. Have you ever seen Perez Hilton, the gossip guy? Uh, yeah, is he still with us? Uh, yeah, he's still alive. Um, oh, okay. I believe so. Uh, but, but anyway, he compared, uh, Shelly compared Dave to Perez, not even in a bad way. And I, I just put it up. I, I was, uh, I, I tweeted it out so that people could hear it and listen to what Shelly had to say. And, you know, Dave has like an army of people that defend him. And they said, please do not listen to this, this show of Shelly. So, uh, there you go. But so I'm sure that the, the the Dave Meltzer loves the modern era of wrestling, loves the Japanese style. And I'm sure that uh, anybody that is a, a super fan in that way will hate what we're talking about. But maybe you're not listening to our show anyway. We uh, we skew towards the people that love the 80s and we'll continue to go through the 80s real quick. Ken, uh, before we transition off of Piper's Pit. Uh, May 29th on uh, a WWF TV taping, Cindy Lauper makes her first appearance as a guest on Piper's Pit. In the ensuing weeks, Lauper would align with Wendy Richter and challenge the fabulous Moolah for the WWF Women's Championship. Were you part of any of the uh, the quote-unquote rock and wrestling stuff, or was that all before you you came in 86? Uh, that was before you know I, I came. Uh, and we've talked about it. And if if you look at how much music is intertwined with wrestling today in terms of the entrances and, and everything else, again, you know, I, I've spoken some negative stuff. But again, Vince was really the one that had the foresight to, to get a, a Cindy Lauper and Again, her involvement, you know, even the pre-WrestleMania allowed more non-wrestling mainstream like music fans to kind of tune in and give it a look. Sure. Yeah, it, it really did lure in. And again, we talked about on the Starcade episode, the NWA tried to do this with Joe Frazier. They tried to bring in boxing fans, and then they just really fell on their face because um, what, what a terrible um, booked match that was, a terribly booked match that was. But the WWF, they brought in all those celebrities. They, they brought in that whole MTV uh, audience and they kept them for so many years. And that was, it was just an amazing thing. So yeah, Cindy Lauper comes in and you had that, that legendary feud with Wendy Richter and the fabulous Moolah and uh, it, that spider incident, which we'll talk about at some point on the show, but, but not quite yet. So uh, that happened on Piper's pit as well. So lots of major things starting to happen on Piper's pit and these TV tapings. One thing to note in June of, uh, of 84. So, and this is again, before Ken got there, but all of the WWF tapings had taken place at agricultural center in Allentown PA uh, for, for years. I think it started in the sixties and uh, Joe McHugh was the ring announcer for all of those TV tapings, ladies and gentlemen, I think, um, 
you know, he had a very distinct voice. So his final show and the final tapings at the Ag Agriplex, I think it was, happened on June 19th, 1984. Ken, did you ever work at that building in Allentown? I think, you know, they, they were back there a few times maybe uh, through the years, or uh, was that not part of, of your journey with uh, WWF? Or I, 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 uh, when I joined WWF, we were doing – all the American TV in Poughkeepsie and the Canadian tapings were all in <clears throat> Brantford, Ontario, known for as much as the WWF tapings as being the birthplace of Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I don't think I ever did Allentown, I, I, you know, because we weren't doing any TV there. And generally, <clears throat> most of the, you know, we did all, all the interviews on the road. But normally in, in bigger markets that had the bigger, you know, cards where all the talent was going to be there. So I, I don't recall, Bruce, that I, I ever got to uh, Allentown. So Joe McHugh, this ring announcer, and, and there's a lot of distinctive ring announcers throughout the years. You know, Gary Michael Capetta, Michael Buffer, Howard Finkel. The style of ring announcing was different in the WWF than it was in the AWA and the NWA, depending on the event. So I want to really contrast when you were in the AWA, a lot of times you would be doing the ring announcing and the backstage interviewing and sometimes the commentary. It was a, a singular person doing all three things, whereas the WWF was very segmented. They had the, their announcers, they had the ring announcer and the backstage interview all separate. So, uh, well, sometimes I guess Vince would interview the guys uh, next to the ring after the match, but what was the difference in style? And was that just a regional thing? And, uh, or, or was that something that, that Byrne wanted to do to make his product different? Uh, I, I think one, it was from Byrne's standpoint, uh, a little bit financial, you know, if you could have one guy doing two different things, that meant you didn't have to hire somebody to, to do the second part. Uh, and also, too, you know, in the AWA, when I started, uh, the ring announcer was really viewed more perfunctionary. Um, you know, I, I didn't know uh, Joe from Allentown, but, you know, when I got to WWF, of course, it was uh, Howard Finkel, who, you know, Vince had allowed to become a bit of a personality himself where Vern viewed the job of a ring announcer was basically to just introduce the people that are the stars. And, you know, uh, the, the best analogy I, I can make, uh, uh, they'll say sometimes like the best umpire is one you never notice throughout yeah. the whole game. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's how uh, Vern basically viewed uh, the job uh, of a ring announcer, just, you know, get it announced and don't screw it up. Uh, you know, but by the time I got to WWF, uh, you know, Howard was very much a, a personality. And, and if you think about it, sure, you know, the, the Michael Buffers in, in boxing, but, you know, along with Howard, 
you know, Vince brought in Mike McGurk, the first, you know, big time female ring announcer, where Vince kind of had the view that anybody that could be a draw and make someone want to either tune in or buy a ticket to see in person, all the better. Uh, you know, Lillian Garcia, I mean, ring announcer and was allowed to, to sing the national anthem. I mean, Vince really viewed anybody that was going to be on air, if they could become somewhat of a draw in and of themselves, all the better. And, uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, Vern and again, you know, this was old school ever viewed it that way. So it, it was like, hey, you know, you're going to do the interviews and play-by-play, but look, j- just, you know, announce the match first. Like, you know, somebody's got to tell them who's coming out. So uh, it was you know. really that downplayed where, like, hey, uh, you're, you're doing the, uh, the announcing and the play-by-play, uh, but, but just go out here and do this, this too. Yeah, I, you know, it's like, hey, you're, you're right at ringside, you know, you could certainly talk on a mic, so you know, announce the the bout, uh, and the referee, you know, like uh, whoever it was. A lot of times, Marty Miller in those days, you know, I, I'd make the ring announcers, but you know, Marty was smart enough; he wouldn't start the bout until I got down to ringside, got the headset on, and kind of gave him a nod to go ahead and start it. <laughs> wow! And, and any close calls getting out of the ring? <laughs> trying to get back to your position? Uh, not getting out of the ring because one of the reasons, you know, the wrestlers, you know, you can only kind of stand there waiting for the bell to ring so long. So they never wanted to, to interfere with me getting out and getting down to ringside so they could get down to what they were there to do. <clears throat> so I never had... Uh, any problems? Oh, oh, that was funny. Uh, earlier tonight, I don't do it much, but uh, was asked because Larry Zabisco was doing a, a uh, live podcast. Uh, and I loved working w- with Larry. And the guy said, Is there any way you'd call in for, you know, like do a basically a, a, a call in run in? Uh, so I got on with, you know, Larry, we talked a little bit and Larry said, you know, I, Ken is part of one of the biggest pops I ever got. He said, I can't remember where it was, but Ken, you remember I was working with Bob Backlund and you were sitting in ringside and I threw Bob out and he landed on you and you guys both, you know, the chair collapsed and you went over backwards. He said to this day that one of the biggest pops I ever got was because I threw Backlund on the Ken Resnick. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had some problem. And one time uh, Stan Hansen, when, uh, when he was working with Sergeant Slaughter, knew that Sarge and I were very good friends away from the business. So Stan w- was out and I was sitting in ringside and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, Hanson just grabs me and throws me into the ring, you know, on top of slaughter. So I had incidents where, you know, I w- would be, you know, inadvertently it- involved because I was at ringside, but never had any problems because the wrestlers wanted to get started. So nobody ever gave me, uh, any grief there was a one time, uh, I, I 
it's a, a famous picture. Uh, Sherry Martell was wrestling Candy Devine. Uh, and Sherry and I were, you know, good friends and got along great. And for whatever reason, Sherry decided, wanted to get me somehow involved. So she absolutely refused, you know, I'd announced the matches, uh, got back to ringside, was sitting with Nick Bockwinkle. Sherry Martell absolutely refused to allow, back in those days, the refs, you know, would pat everybody down. She absolutely refused and kept calling me back into the ring, and I had the headsets on, so I didn't understand what she's doing. So she won't allow, uh, I think it was Marty Miller, the referee, to pat her down. So she comes, walk, climbs out of the ring, comes, stands up on the broadcast table, pulls me up and puts my hands on her to have me pat her down. So I had wrestlers get me involved when I was at ringside, but never any problem getting back there. You didn't get any sexual harassment claims, did you, Resnick? Uh, no, but it, it was funny. Nick Bockwinkle was laughing so hard. Uh, he, he just had never seen anything like that. And he just couldn't get over it. When Cherry pulls me up and, you know, grabs my hands and puts them right on her backside for me to pat her down. Uh, Nick was in absolute hysterics. Uh, and, you know, kind of made the line. He said, well, there's no question that, in uh, Candy Devine and Sherry Martell, two, you know, outstanding-looking wrestlers, and evidently, as you can attest, they feel good, too. Or I don't know, but it was just hysterical. <laughs> Nick was just cracking up. It was like, he said, when we got done, he said, I've never seen that in my life. And even Nick asked me, he goes, did you two work that out? <laughs> it's like even Nick didn't know what was it. I said, no, that was all Sherry. See, that's the impromptu stuff you don't get these days. That's why you got to go back on uh, your favorite WWF app or, or sorry, WWE app or YouTube. Find the old stuff. That's uh, that's where the classics live. Well, and, and again, I, I said to myself, you know, we're talking about Larry Zabisco, the living legend, the man that, you know, sort of ended the career of Bruno San Martino. And he's saying one of the biggest pops he ever got involved him throwing somebody on top of me. <laughs> the legendary killer Ken Resnick. Ken, we might, and this is becoming a gimmick at this point, we might not get through all of 84 because we're running out of time. I promise, though, next week we have a few more things that I want to cover, and then we will definitely cross into 85 next week. But I do want to say, and we'll probably end with this, uh, CWA, Continental Wrestling, that was the promotion in Memphis that was owned by Jerry Jarrett. And uh, it later became the USWA and famously this is the promotion where Andy Kaufman came through, came through championship wrestling uh, in Memphis and CWA held an event on June 25th, 1984. And it was uh, called star Wars. And this, uh, there was a match, Randy Savage and Lanny Puffo defeated the rock and roll express and Randy Savage injured Ricky Morton by pile driving him through the timekeepers table during that match. And uh, that's something, Ken, it just stuck out to me because how many times you probably see that spot, uh, it's not once a week, but probably once a month, you see somebody going through a table. And 
it's it's no big deal. You know, they get up and they're 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 on a backstage interview later in the night. But that was a huge angle back then. Randy Savage pile driving Ricky Morton through a table. How different times are, right? Yeah, I, I, I kind of say to myself that the times uh, I'll get a chance to to tune into uh, you know Raw if there's not a really good currently you know like obviously last night the Vikings and the Bears were on so uh, I didn't even look at Raw. But I often say to myself, you know, either Vince or Triple H or Stephanie or Shane, they must own a small part of some television monitor production company because I think at least once, a, you know, once a week on Raw, they'll destroy the monitors on the broadcast table. <laughs> I got to ask you this, Ken, and why we're on, and this is why I want to probably end with the, the CWA. So, I mean, this Memphis territory was hot. This show that they did, uh, this card that they did in um, in '84, uh, Star Wars. Uh, they drew 10,032 people at the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, they were they were just on fire at one point. And you had in 1982. So we're going back a little bit before we we really. Uh, the the area of focus on this show but in 1982 Andy Kaufman comes to Memphis and does a legendary angle with Jerry the King Lawler you know they used David Letterman uh late night with David Letterman they had that incident on July 27th 82 where Kaufman and Lawler were both guests and my question to you Ken is what happened so you know this is something where if that's Vince McMahon, I feel like that they would have gone wildfire after after this and really took advantage of it. Why couldn't Jerry Jarrett turn that into gold? Why did Jerry Jarrett just not have the uh, the vision to go national with something like that? Did he did he not care about doing anything outside of Memphis? Because really, you know, you see the angle on TV on Letterman, but. Nobody outside of Memphis is really watching the program, and nobody's able to see it out unless you're in Memphis, right? Well, yeah. I mean, again, there was no, you know, national cable channels, uh, and you know, this was even before I got, you know, into the AWA. So I was a little bit aware of it. Uh, you know, I don't know whether you know it was Jared didn't have the foresight to to make more out of it or or take it national or you know it just wasn't really seen by you know anybody other than you know right in the Memphis territory. Uh, it could have also been, in all fairness, you know, an actor like Andy Kaufman may have tried it. You know, it was fun. Yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, I don't want to do it anymore. I mean, there could have been a a variety of of reasons, and you know, I I have absolutely you know no knowledge, but you know, who, who knows? Uh, but but you're right. I mean, it, it was you kind of wonder. It was big enough for, you know, late night with David Letterman to pick it up uh, and, and talk about it. So, you know, uh, Jerry Jarrett, you know, was, was certainly a good promoter and, you know, certainly built that territory. So uh, I'm guessing that when Letterman picked up and it got the exposure, 
if if Andy or Lawler, if everyone involved had been willing, they probably would have uh, carried it forward. Uh, so I'm, I would guess there was probably some external reason. But yet, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, you can do something once with somebody that's not a wrestler, you know, with a wrestler. But where do you go from there? So, you know, it, it could have been any a number of reasons. Well, Andy Kaufman, I mean, he had a run down there where he's wrestling women. And I mean, it was there was a lot of stuff that that happened during that time period. Jimmy Hart was involved. And I guess my question to you is, Ken, and, and you weren't there, so I won't I won't go into a whole lot of detail on Andy Kaufman down in Memphis. But if Andy Kaufman passed away uh, tragically from cancer in 1984, I think in May of 84, if Andy Kaufman hadn't passed away with his and if you, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Man on the Moon, but just loved pro wrestling, loved the theatrics, loved being out in front of the crowd and taunting the crowd. If, if when Vince McMahon came to prominence in, in 83, you know, Andy's sick by that time and, and kind of winding down. If Andy Kaufman was still uh, active and healthy in 1984, when Vince McMahon really ramped up the WWF engine, could you, is there any doubt that Andy Kaufman wouldn't have been a manager or some kind of character on WWF TV? probably like a, a, a manager or something, but you know, the reality is he was, you know, so small in stature that, you know, the, after the opening gambit, if you will, with Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler, it, it kind of became a little bit more like when promoters would bring the midgets in like once a year that, you know, when you've seen it once, you've seen it enough for a while. Um, so, you know, maybe as a manager, but in all honesty, you know, while Andy Kaufman was a huge talent, a a great actor, um, it's a little different being a manager and you kind of go, could Andy Kaufman have competed with the likes of Lou Albano or classy Freddie Blassie? Or, you know, even with all his wrestling ability with the likes of Mr. Fuji, you know, uh, so I, I guess all I can say is I'm not as 100 percent sure as you are that he would have, you know, had any sort of long staying power, uh, you know, in, in WWF, because, you know, even in the 80s, you know, uh as great as every talker was, they had to make their contributions in the ring as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I guess is the only, you know, is the short answer and the long answer. <laughs> well, and I'm not sure now if we're going to get through 1984 next week, that's the short and the long answer too. Cause next week we have to talk about Vince McMahon buying up his competition in Canada, Maple Leaf wrestling and stampede wrestling, lots of stuff to unpack there with stampede. You got the start of pro wrestling USA, which we touched on a little bit before uh, we'll go, we'll go a little bit deeper because that involved uh, Ken and what he was doing in the AWA. 
you have the start of the Heenan family in the WWF and the feud with Andre the Giant, Big John Studd kicking off in November, and then the infamous incident with David Schultz in uh, the John Stossel interview. So we'll cover that next week, and then we will get through and conclude 1984, and we'll be thankful going into Thanksgiving that we're into 1985. Ken, uh, this is just, I mean... I can't believe I think we're on 10 weeks of 1984 and I never, I never would have thought that this much stuff happened in, uh, in, in this year, but just a monumental year in pro wrestling. Well, I'm looking forward. I, I, I think the, uh, you know, week, uh, it'll drop the, the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, I promise we're going to finish 1984 next week because of nothing else. I'm just going to start giving like one or two word answers. So we're going to get through it. Yeah, we will get through it. And uh, and listen, this is overtime for Ken. We only pay him for an hour, so uh, we're uh, he's he's on like triple time now. So we got to get out of here. Uh, remember, you wait, wait, wait. You pay me? What? What? <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> we got to get out of here. Remember to go to vocnation.com. Uh, click the link for the shop on the left-hand side. That is how Ken gets paid. Buy some T-shirts. Support the show. Support Killer Ken Resnick. Uh, and um, and support VOC Nation as a brand. This that's what helps keep uh, all of this fantastic programming coming to you. Support our sponsors. Uh, of thank you very much to the platform that we're on. Uh, we uh, we really appreciate it. It helps us to continue to uh, to give you all of the programming that we give. And uh, that's it for this week for Killer Ken Resnick, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, saying so long. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week and wrap up 1984. Wrestling with History on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Right here is the future of wrestling.